Okay, so this is Joe Holman. He's been with us, like I said, about 15 years. Yes. He's got uh, African garb on, looking good. African in it. garb. Making you're, it look good. You're rocking it. <laughs> so this is Joe. Joe's going to give us the word. Did you like that flowery introduction? Yes. That's about all he I got. He worked on that. Yeah, he had two weeks to get that ready. <laughs> so, yeah, he's saving it all up for next week. You guys come next week and prepare for about a three-hour sermon. Uh, so it's good. As you said, my name is Joe, and uh, we, it's been about three years since we've been here. My wife and two of the kids will be here uh, for the second service. They were in the hotel, and we didn't quite get checked out on time. Uh, so, but they'll be here, and we actually have been in, if you guys have been following us, if you're not on the newsletter, I'll leave information later on how to get on that, but we've been in Bolivia in the Andes Mountains for 15 years, but then God began to work on our heart, God began to, to stir things up inside of us, and we made a shift. I'm turning 60 in like six weeks, and so the year I turned 60, we said, hey, let's move to Africa, why not? <laughs> and so uh, we've moved, and we are now in Ghana in West Africa. We're in northern Tamale. That's where I actually had this made right before I came. I look good in it, don't I? <laughs> you should see. I was going to bring uh, what they actually wear. It's, it's amazing because it really, when I say it's hot, the other day we were in the kitchen, and I said, uh, we're living in this little apartment right now because we're having a house built. And I said, look at this, babe. It's like 115 degrees in here. And... Uh, and that's inside the house. Uh, and so it is brutally hot. Uh, it's overwhelmingly hot. I posted on Facebook once. I said, I knew I felt hot. And it was like heat index, 120 plus. Take cover. You're like, there is no cover. Uh, but so we moved there in northern Tomley. We're working. It's 90% Islam. And it is 9% traditional uh, ancestry, idolatry, only 1% evangelical Christian where we live. Uh, when I say it's 90% Islam, if you guys are talking to my kids between the services, two of my girls have moved with us. We have 11 kids, but the rest of them have cycled out. And uh, so we, the two girls that are with us, 18-year-old and a 15-year-old, every time we go to the market, let me emphasize that, every time we go to the market, somebody tries to buy them. Because in the Islamic culture and in the in animus culture, women are, are just really property. Islamic people can have up to four wives at a time. And so what they'll do is if they decide, you know, they want someone, they'll, they'll, they'll get rid of one or the other, which is by saying, I divorce you in front of witnesses. And so then they can take a new wife. And so they'll ask me, are these your wives? I'll say, no, they're my daughters. Oh, may I buy them? And uh, that'll, that'll really work on a young girl's psyche. Uh, and what I just tell them, I'm like, you know, you better obey me or we can't go to the market. Uh, and so, you know, forget that time out nonsense. Uh-uh. But uh, so anyway, we moved there. We're working, like I say, it's, it's kind of what you think. We're having a house built. It's, a, it's a concrete rectangle. And then we, as soon as we step out of the village, we're, we're, we're in mud huts, grass roots, and that thing. And, and, but God has really worked. And the, we've gone there. This year so far, we've had over 120 decisions for Christ. And uh, we do one-on-one -on -one evangelism. We do a uh, lot of humanitarian aid in the name of Christ. I'm with uh, basically a nonprofit there now. I'm on the board. It's a 30-something-year-old, and we do humanitarian works. We do, since I've been there, we've done wells, boreholes. Uh, this is a big deal, toilets, uh, because, you know, they just live in a hut, and especially for abandoned women, those that are in uh, fear of, of uh, abuse and stuff, if they leave it, they're, they're hut at night, but they have to go to the bathroom. Rainy season, they have to go to the bathroom. We build huts attached, uh, toilets attached to the compound, outhouses. But they're nice outhouses. 
Uh, we do community centers, we do nutritional centers, we do clean water projects. It's all in the name of Jesus. The, the organization I work with is Markaza Bashada, which in, uh, that's Arabic, and it means the center of good news. And so God's opened all these doors, we're there, and it's, it's really incredible. You guys keep praying for us. Uh, like I say, I've, at the time when most people are, you know, thinking about retirement, we're like, hey, I've got to, let's go to Africa. Uh, and so we're there now, and you'll see that my wife and a couple of the kids that live with us uh, in between services. Uh, but that's it. It's just amazing how God worked. And quick story, just showing you, we, COVID made us had to come back to the States. We had to evacuate out of Bolivia. They shut the country down. You couldn't get back in if you weren't a citizen. My daughter was born there, so she could, but she didn't want to go without us. Uh, and so, but, so then, but the cool thing is, all the stuff that we've done uh, was handled, handed off, and managed and maintained by Bolivian nationals. And so when we're getting ready to go back, we're like, we're not going to take anything over. I actually called the church I've been the pastor of for nine year, 11 years, and I said, hey, when we come back, I'm not going to that church. We're going to probably start another one because you guys got that. And so, uh, but as we were working, I said, we go back, we've been doing work in the Amazon jungle in Bolivia, and I said, we'll probably spend six months in the jungle and six months in the city. Uh, but as we kept thinking about it, we're like, okay, God started nudging, doing these things, pulling us towards Ghana with a network of relationships and ministries that we have, and it made it clear, okay, your, your, your time in Bolivia is over, that's awesome, all these things are going, our construction ministry is still running, orphanage is still going, uh, the church is awesome, and, but they don't need me anymore. And so God said, now let's go here. So that's where we're at. So we're in, we're in Ghana. And so today I want to talk to you guys. I am a missionary, so of course I want to talk to you about the Great Commission. So nobody saw that coming, did you? Uh, so, but I want to talk about the heart and soul of the Great Commission. And to, for us to, to really think about why do we have this Great Commission? What is the purpose of this Great Commission? And do we do it? And I, I think we'll see a couple of things differently today that I hope impact life. And I was encouraged because when I walked in, one of the things I want to focus on is outside in the auditorium. Uh, but let's look at, let's, let's pray and then we'll read the passage. Father, we do just come to you. We thank you so much uh, for the fact that not only have you saved us, uh, but you have given us a purpose. That you've rescued us and now we are rescued people on a rescue mission. That I pray you would help us to understand today our family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors need Jesus, uh, and that we have a mission to complete. And I pray you would uh, just ignite the fire to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, famous passage of scripture. But I think that as you read this, one thing that happens is, a lot of times we focus on the middle. We, 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 kinda, we, we kind of ignore the first part, kind of ignore the last part, and just focus on the middle. So today I want us to look at everything on it. Uh, so let's look at this. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have it up there. It's my fault. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Do you see, he said that all authority has been given to me. Now, I, I want you to think about that just for a moment. When, he, when he's saying, talking about authority, he's basically saying he has the right to tell you what to do. You know, the, the old television shows we used to watch growing up, they would say, stop in the name of the law. What they're saying is, I have the authority to speak into your life. 
And we know this even as kids, you know, when, when somebody tells them what to do or whatever, I don't have to do what you say. You ain't my mama. Uh, you know what they're saying is, you know, you, you can't tell me what to do. That you don't have the authority to speak into my life. Jesus, I said, I think this is one of the, the very first things that we have a tendency to ignore because we don't understand that he has all authority, including authority over me. That, that when he said, I have all authority, he's like, listen, I am standing here and God the Father has given and has granted to me total authority. What that means is that we are to do what he says. Now, this is really what gives us the courage when it comes to missions. It gives the courage to go. It's, it's the call that when God says, I want you to go speak to people about their lives. See, they're really the gall. You know, you, you know what we do here? What we do here in this church and what we do in the far reaches of the world is we go and we tell people, you guys just did it with, with the float and passing out tracts. What you currently believe is wrong. You need to repent, change your mind of thinking, change, and place your faith in Christ. Do you think about the audacity of that? Of sitting here and saying, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. We are right. In this culture, to be so exclusive, how can we do that? How can we say, and, and if you even look at the, the applications and the, and, the, and the sexual issues and everything going on today for us to say, oh, no, 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 there, there, there's something going on here and I just got to say, that's wrong. How do you know that's wrong? Jesus gave us the authority to say so. That he said, all authority. As we as missionaries, and we go into this, sociologists will say, okay, it's okay to go and do humanitarian aid, but don't try to change their culture. But Jesus said, you go tell them that what they've been practicing for thousands of years is wrong. And killing the goat doesn't do anything. That, that your worship of the spiritual world, that your, that, your, that your worship of Allah is wrong. How do we know it's wrong? Because we're right. Now, even as I say that, doesn't that sound closed-minded? Doesn't that say like, whoa, what do you mean? We're supposed to say, let's all get along. Yes, let's all get along. But here's the truth. And Jesus said, I've given you all authority. As pastor, I've been a pastor for 38 years. And as missionaries, the reason we can stand up here and we say, we want you guys to give your money. We want you guys to give your money to the building fund. We want you guys to give money to buttons and blessings. We want you guys to be generous. We want you guys to give the missions. How can we ask people to give money? Well, because God's work needs funding, and God told us to do it. All authority. When I say all authority, understand the, the depth of that authority. Look at this, because Jesus, the Apostle Paul's talking, and he goes, okay, you, I want you to grab a hold of this, all authority. And he said this. It's, it's not going to the next slide. It should be. Oh, oh, we're locked up. There you go. Now it jumped there. Okay, so he said, I pray that your heart may be enlightened. He goes, okay, I'm asking God to reveal something to you. I'm asking God the, God the Spirit to actually open up your understanding 
So you will know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. When he says the boundless greatness of his power, he's trying to explain this, and he said, basically, here's it. It's power without limits. It's power that has no edge. It's, it's, it's not just he's really, really great. That You need to understand that his power, and then he uses four different words to try to communicate the incredible power that God has. And I, I've got him under my, it's like the, his power, that's one word, and it says that, that his, the working, another one, the strength is another one, and his might. It's four words to say, listen, what God is doing. The, two of these words, we get dynamite from, another one we get the word Adam from. That He's saying that, that his power is so incredibly great. And he, all this power he brought about in Christ. That, that this, this infinite power was narrowed down to Christ. And then when Christ rose from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now, it goes, okay, you understand, he's got this power, but now we're going to see something else. See, power is this incredible ability that he is omnipotent, that he can do anything. But then it says that he has the authority as well. So he's not just omnipotent, he's sovereign. And sovereign doesn't mean he does everything. It means he, he is the ultimate ruler of all with absolute authority. And he has the, uh, he, he's the one that determines what need to be, what need to be done, what should be done, who does it. He says, you need to understand that Jesus is all-powerful. He's in total, omnipotent, boundless, infinite control. But not just does he have that power, he has the authority. He is far above. All, look at that, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only this age, but in the one to come. So when we look at that, we say Jesus stands up and says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. We need to realize God is, God is saying, listen, Jesus has the right to tell you and to tell me what to do. And then he's not satisfied with just saying this boundless greatness of his power and his strength and his might. This is incredible, omnipotent power that, that brought him back from the dead and God's placed him above everything. But just so you understand, since he's above everything, that means everything else is below him. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. He made him head over all things in the church. His body, his fullness. What he's saying is, Jesus said, listen, I've established I have power over demons. I have power over disease. I have, I have power over the angelic realm. I have power over sickness. I have power over death. Oh, another word to say this is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In every sense of the word. Now, he is Lord, but the whole gospel message is for us to understand that, repent and believe, realize he is the Lord. I have not been acting like he's the Lord. I need to repent, place my faith in him, and understand what I mean by this, let him be my Lord. He is the Lord, but I am not experiencing that practically in my life until I make the decision that he is my Lord. And when you say Jesus is the Lord, then... If, if he really is the Lord, and that's why I want to go back to this, all power has been given, all authority has been given to me. 
if Jesus is the Lord, you guys remember that song, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Okay, if Jesus is Lord, is there another option besides yes? No, Lord? Well, if he's Lord, you can't say no, or he's not your Lord. So the only option is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Jesus said, you can't call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. So when we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus said, you need to understand something. All power, all authority is mine. And with all that authority, with everything that I am, with my position and my power, I'm telling you, go make disciples. Go and make disciples. Literally, it's as you go. That's why I said it's both here and there. Jesus said, make disciples. You are to, that's why he says, therefore, because I have all this authority, I have all this authority, I have the right to speak into your life, go make disciples. You know, you guys say you know, the church is here to help people know God, that's preaching the gospel, to help people grow, that's discipleship, discover their purpose, mentoring and growth in discipleship, and make an impact, doing it to other people changing the world. Jesus said, if I'm your Lord, therefore, all authority has been given to me. I have all power. I am sovereign. I'm above everything in existence, no matter where it's at. I am the Lord. And because of my position in the universe, I have the right to tell you what to do. Go make disciples. So is that a suggestion or a commandment? but we treat it like it's an option for the committee to discuss and table for another time. He said, go and make disciples that, that we are to be participating in some form or fashion in the Great Commission. That if we are not, basically, I look at it this way, and, and I'm, so, I'm so much into this. In Bolivia, the church where I pastored for 11 years, just a mission church, it grew, things are going well. We gave 20% of our, not our budget, 20% of our income went to missions. We were a mission church. And as I said, we do work in the Amazon. We're starting 10 churches in 10 villages in 10 years. And this mission church that could fit in this section is paying for it. And we support missionaries in, uh, in the Middle East. We support missionaries in Pakistan, uh, I think is how you say it. We support missionaries in Pakistan. And they're about to start supporting a missionary in Ghana that I know personally. Uh, and it's like this little church whose annual income is probably less than this church's mo monthly income says 20% of what comes in goes out. Because Jesus is Lord. And if you're here and you're not participating in some way in the making of disciples, if you're not sending, sent, then you're in sin. If you're not participating in the ministry of the church as far as helping people know God and helping people grow in God, I don't see an option for watching. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And because all authority is given me in heaven and earth, you go, and look what he said, teaching them to follow. Now, this is the one that we kind of really focus on, is teaching them to follow. 
as a, uh, I, I was a pastor of a Bible church in D.C., outside of D.C., then I pastored a Bible church in Bolivia that we started, it was, uh, and now I attend a Bible church when I'm in Florida, and I am now on a teaching staff of a Bible church in Ghana. So when I say Bible church, we kind of, I, I was watching your slides and stuff, and I'm like, that's so cool how we agree on everything. Uh, I think we agree on everything. The earth's not that old. I saw you guys had the question. How's the earth? It's not that old. Uh, but uh, so as, as we look at this, as a, I'm a Bible pastor, but I'm an ordained Baptist minister. I was a Baptist when I got saved, and so I always focused on baptizing them. But Jesus said, I want you to sit this, teaching them to follow. Now, what is discipleship? We're supposed to go make disciples. I've got a real simple definition of discipleship. Discipleship is teaching other people to obey the truths of God that I have learned and obeyed. You see, I can't teach you what I don't know, and it's hypocrisy to teach you what I don't do. Jesus didn't say, go and make hypocrites. He said, teach, it's, we made it this huge thing where basically you have to have a PhD to disciple people. You don't have the PhD, you just have to be one step in front of them. You know, when I gave my life to Christ, I was an atheist, and I was in college. I got saved. The next week, a man started discipling me. Two months later, he connected me to somebody else to start discipling them. And I'm like, wait, I, I, don't, know, I don't know anything. He goes, oh, no, no, you don't have to know everything. Just you're three chapters ahead. So all you got to do is teach people chapter one. You learned it two weeks ago. And for 43 years, I have engaged in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. I don't know that much, but I know this, so here's what God's done in my life. I, I, I really, discipleship is so simple. And when Jesus said, teach them to follow, we, we get so hung up on leadership and stuff. You know what leadership is? Leadership is simply a follower being followed. Because you're following something. And Jesus said, you teach them to follow what I've commanded you. You're following me, and you teach them to follow you, then when you step out of the way, they're, they're just going to keep following me. And so he said, here's what you do. Go make disciples. What's a disciple? Well, you know what I've told you to do, and you've obeyed? Yeah, well, share that. You know, say, well, I don't know all the stuff about eschatology. Okay, don't talk about it. Well, I don't know what the, when, when I first started teaching, I, like I said, I was an atheist, and so then my wife and I, we started teaching the four-year-olds, I would read the Bible stories the week before and then teach them. I didn't know anything, but I learned about David and Goliath this week, and I can let a four-year-old chop off my head. It's just that simple. Jesus said, you go and make disciples, and he's not talking to the elite ivory tower PhD people. He's saying, anybody that's learned anything at any time from me, and you've applied it to your life, somebody else can learn that truth. Just tell it to them. Just, just teach them. It's not that difficult. <laughs> so he said, I want you to go and make disciples. And I said, th this is the part that we tend to focus on, and, and we look at it, we say, okay, we are to go and make disciples. Now, when he said, teaching them to obey, understand, the, the heart and soul of the Great Commission is all about Jesus. And it starts off with, he has all authority. So what's that mean? We talk about who he is. That the heart and soul of the Great Commission is to tell people about who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is Lord. 
And as we communicate thoroughly, this is who Jesus is, then we also talk about what Jesus did. The heart and soul of the Great Commission is what Jesus did. That he came to the earth. God himself, God became man. The, the word put on flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We saw God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. At the end of that life, he sacrificed himself. He gave himself as a sacrifice. Died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. And the third day he rose from the dead. You know, when, when, when I'm talking and I'm sharing Christ with, with Muslims and I'm sharing Christ with the, with the animus and, and the ancestor worship, I'm like, here's the thing. All the people that you talk about in your religious belief, whether it's, whether, you know, it, it's uh, when you're talking about Allah and you're talking about Muhammad or you're talking about your grandpa, they're all dead. But Jesus is alive. You see, the life, death, who he is, what he did, what he's doing, he's building his kingdom. He's propagating the gospel to the ends of the earth, that he's at work right now. What he will do, one day he will return. And when he returns, he will judge the living and the dead. When he returns with all things under his feet, those who have trusted in him, placed their faith in him, believed in him, repented and trusted, God says, your name's in the book of life, you will be with me forever and eternity, but those that haven't will spend eternity in a real hell. The heart and soul of the Great Commission is Jesus. That, that as we do this and we say, you know, what, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do, that what we need to do is focus on Jesus. And as we teach them, look what he says. This is the other part that I say we have a tendency to forget. I am with you always. I am with you always. I, I, I wrote a book on discipleship, and it's Discipleship of the Heart's what it's called. And one of the things I focus on is the presence of God. That, that Jesus said, I am with you always. What, what we need to understand, it's not the great commission, it's the great co-mission. He's with us. For me and my family, Jesus didn't send us to Ghana. He went with us to Ghana. That if we understand that Jesus is here, and we realize that, that right now that, he, that he's here, and that he, when, when he tells us to do something, he doesn't say, I want you to go. He says, come with me. I am with you always. You know, th there's a, a, a verse I was preaching through uh, the book of Hebrews, and I was, as I got to the famous chapter in Hebrews 11, I'm talking about faith. And look at that, and it says, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And I was thinking, I said, that makes absolutely no sense. Why would you even say that? It's a book written to Christians. It's a book about faith. Why would you say, okay, you've got to believe God exists? Of course we believe God exists. Do we? Practically. See, I think a lot of times, we are, in our, in our mindset, we are Christians, but in our practical life, we, we, we practice a kind of practical atheism. By that I mean, how much does the existence of God impact your life? This morning, did you think about the fact that God exists? That God is? In your mind right now, think back to Thursday at 2.30. Thursday at 2.30, I don't know what you were doing, I don't know who you were with, I don't know what, you know, what, you could have been with little kids, you could have been with friends, might have been at school, I don't know what you were doing. Thursday at 2.30, do 
did the existence of God enter into your mind? You see, there's this incredible thing, and that is that God is. Okay, and if we could just really live that out, and not only God is, but God is here. You see, in, in theology, in theological terms, it's the nearness of God. It's the fact that, that God is not some distant force, but he's a present person. That God isn't just on his throne, but he's in my life, in the Holy Spirit, and I am the temple of God. That God is here, and, and that's the idea there, but then not it's just he's here now. That God is here now. One of the things we do in our, in our family, we have a thing, a passage of life. We do different passages of life, and uh, one of them we do is when the kids turn 16, we have this huge, huge, huge thing. We've done it with 10 of them now. This, this big event, huge blessing type of party, uh, it's a big party, and, all, and then we do a blessing, and people lay hands on, and we speak words of life to the kids, and we have friends and family members who know and love Jesus, write letters, my wife compiles in a book, giving advice for adulthood, and one of the things we do is we give them a watch, and on the watch we have a Bible verse inscribed, but then I talk to them, and I say, anytime you look at that watch, what you need to realize is that now, now's the time to glorify God. Now, is when I need Jesus. Now is when I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Now. All of my life has led to now, and God's at work right now. That God is here now. That it's not that I have potential that one day in the future I might accomplish something. No, no, no. Now. Now God's working. And as I say, God is here, he's here now, and he's actively engaged in my life. I expand upon this, and I say in, with, and through. God is working in my life, working with my life, and working through my life. When? Now. Okay. When I say we're practical atheists, how much has the existence of God impacted your life this moment? When we were worshiping, were you singing? Did you really think God is here. I mean, even, even like him or not, if President Biden came in and sat down on the front chair, everybody would go, whoa, president's here. President's here. Some people go, thanks, Biden. But the president's here. Okay? It's a big deal. The president's here. Don't look. God's here. No, 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 don't look at him. God's here. If you're a parent, you're disciplining your kids because they disobeyed you. You need to speak to them. You need to correct them. You need to talk to them. Maybe you're going to bring consequences to bear in their life. Would you speak the same way, with the same tone of voice, the same volume, using the same words, if Jesus was sitting there with his hand on their shoulder? I'm not saying that I don't need to be corrected. But would you have done it the way you did if Jesus was there? Yeah, he messed up. I admit it. When you talk to your wife, and she says something, and maybe it irritates you. Would you respond that way that you did if she was holding Jesus' hand? God is. Okay, it's not that God's on the throne, and you're hoping he doesn't see this. No, God is. Would you go to that same internet site that you went to if he was sitting beside you looking at your computer screen? 
He is. God is here now actively engaged in my life and that the way the, the bible describes a christian life is not understanding a body of doctrine it's a daily moment god talks about walking we're to walk in the spirit we walk in love we walk in light we walk as children worthy of god we are we are walking circumspectly we walk in wisdom god says this step right now this step right now this step right now and I really like this. The, abide is the word that's used a lot. To remain, to abide, to live in. That, that when we realize that God exists and we understand it's at this moment, you see, God right now is abiding in us and we're abiding in him. And when I say that, what we've done is this, and we don't mean to, but we have taken God and we've made it, we refer almost constantly in terms of a historical event, not a present reality. We talk about the fact that God came, not that he is. We, we talk about the fact that God spoke, not that he speaks. We talk about what Jesus did, not what Jesus is doing. And without meaning to, we've taken God's word that he gave to us as a way of living our lives, and we've made it a historical textbook where we can see what God once did. No. It's now. Look, look at how God constantly emphasizes uh, that it's now. Oh, I've got a cute picture of my grandkids. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, have, I, I actually have uh, two more now. I have, two, I have eight grandkids that are uh, five and below. But the reason that's up there is I want to just share, here's what happened, how this applies. My, Denise and I were looking, and we're like, okay, we're sensing God's finished with us in Bolivia. And then I started having a pity party. And I'm like, you know, We've been in the ministry almost 40 years. We've lived for over 15 years on a separate continent from our children and our grandchildren. At this time, we had more grandchildren on the way. Uh, since that picture's taken, I've had another wedding, and my uh, another daughter's getting married in September. And it's like, you guys know we live on another continent when life is happening here? And I told my wife, I said, when can we say, we did our part. We're, we're done. And, and I said, we could come here, be actively engaged in the local church, be using our spiritual gifts within a local body here, and, and be with our family. And I love her answer. I actually put it on, on, on Facebook, and I want to I write this down. She said, I'm going to read it. If I did not believe in eternity, in the reality of heaven and hell, the truth of the Bible, the existence of God, his desire to seek and save. If I did not believe Jesus died for the lost, then I would go live in the States these last 20 or so years. However, I do believe all of that is true. I do believe our labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know what we do has eternal significance. Yes, I want to be with my children. I cry all the time because I'm not. But I believe every tear is an investment in eternity. And one moment in the presence of the Savior will make the sacrifice worth it all. You see the focus on the fact that God is, and he's here right now. She said, yes, this is painful. But the reality is, my Lord said go. And if my Lord said go, not going isn't an option. Even if my heart breaks when I go. And when I'm saying that, if we, this, this constant thing, and uh, 
Jesus is always talking about living in and abiding in, and that it's in this moment. We have a tendency to treat our relationship with God like we have a, a, a date at Starbucks, you know. We go to Starbucks, we drink coffee with Jesus, we have a little time with him, and then we leave him at Jesus, at the Starbucks, because he's got another appointment. It's not like that at all. The Bible talks about this. Like, look at this. This is what I said. It's out in, your, out in your foyer. The next time you're here, every time you walk in and out, this is a reminder to you, a reminder to you, that it's a moment-by-moment thing. Watch the emphasis that God has. I'm just going to read some verses real quick. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, you can neither unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He said it's not that we had a meeting and it's over. It's we have life together, and you stay in me. Every time you're walking out the doors, you see this. And, and he says this, he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. There it is again. It's this constant communion. And he keeps on, just as the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've been crucified with Christ, but it is not, not now I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That his life is in me. And it's this constant idea, the the presence of God. It's not just what God did, but it's who God is, his person, and his presence. He said the reason we can go out and we can try to do these things and we can confront the world and we can challenge what they say, we can challenge what they believe, is because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It, it's this, this right there. And First John says this, you are of God, little children, or no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, we remain, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. We remain in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. We testify in a seeing what? God remains in him and he in God. Are you beginning to see a pattern? We come to know and believe in the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in God, and God remains in him. So do you see it's this this constant abiding, this constant connecting. What is the heart and soul of the Great Commission? It's Jesus. And it's not just what Jesus did, but it's that Jesus is here. You know, we're going to be doing communion. And when we do communion, what you're going to do is be preaching a sermon. You're going to say that Jesus Christ came and that that he gave his body and that he shed his blood and that he did it for me. First Corinthians says that when we do this, that we are actually proclaiming the death of Christ. We're preaching a sermon and it's also a sign until he comes. That we're remembering what he did right now, making sure my heart is right, what he's doing and also what he's going to do. He's coming back. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Christ. And so as we do this, Jesus said, I'm the authority, and now I'm going to do something. I'm going to send you to the harvest. You know, you look look at this verse, and there's different groups of people. First of all, it's him. He is the one that's in control. He said to his disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth workers into his harvest. He has all authority. And he's talking to his disciples, meaning he's their boss. And he says that that there's a harvest out there. And when he's looking, he says, there's a harvest. This is the verse that God used to call me the mission field. 
And then he says, there's a couple of groups of people. He said, he said to his disciples, these are the ones that are following him. He said, I want you guys, as you gather together, I want you to realize there's something significant. There's a harvest. Now we're here, but we need people there. And he referred to those as workers. Disciples, me and you will pray so that me and them will go. Because it's my harvest. So as you look at that, you can say, okay, are you part of the harvest? You're never going to get out to Christ. Are you a disciple? That means you're somebody that's praying and sending, or has God called you to be a worker? But I really don't see any other options. You're either a disciple participating in the sending, you're a worker who has been sent, or you're the harvest. Jesus said again, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples. We're going to remember that with communion, as I said. Jesus, God in flesh, gave his body and shed his blood. Why? You're proclaiming the Lord's death. What? Until he comes. Who he is? The Lord. What he did? Life, death, and resurrection. What he's going to do? Return. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day, and I do pray that you would help us Focus on you, and as we participate in communion, that it would not just be something we do every once in a while, but that we would realize the significance. It's all about you, and you're here right now. We're not remembering what you did. We're together with you celebrating it. Pray this in your name. Amen.